Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Chad Duncan. I mean, imagine your neighbors and all of a sudden, blind fellers running again. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I just have to say, you know, as amazing as things have been so far with how people are loving the Risk book, we looked at the numbers and believe it or not, only 4% of you have bought the risk book so far. So we want to keep brainstorming on what could possibly get the other 96% of our listeners to go to Amazon or wherever you get your books and buy a copy. If you have any ideas about that, feel free to email me at kevin at show.com. You know, we've talked about the celebrities that have stories in the book. There's a lot of them. And I know that actually our regular risk storytellers are even bigger fan favorites for a lot of you. Well, some of the most legendary risk stories that you guys have been talking about for years are right here and they take on a whole new life in the book. Fan favorites like Melina Williams-Hawes and David Crabb and T.S. Madison. You know, David Crabb said that his mom called him and left a voicemail after she read the book. And he assumed she just wanted to talk about his story in the book. But no, she said, call me as soon as you can because I can't wait to talk to you about this story in the book called Slave by Melina Williams-Hawes. You know, that's the story where Melina tries some kinky BDSM play that ends up uncovering some really terrifying racial tension. My friend Michael Ian Black actually also told me how fascinating he found Melina's story when he read the book. See, these stories have been rewritten from the way they first appeared on the podcast, so there's new insights, new details, new ways of wording ideas, not to mention the Q&As with the storytellers after each story. So go to the risk book.com or just text the word risk to the number 900 900 and buy a copy today also leave a review on amazon and call your library or indie bookstore and tell them to buy copies too the risk book is amazing <laughs> so go get it now also, you know, these days you can get pretty much anything you want on demand, like this podcast. You can listen when it's convenient for you. So you don't need to be taking trips to the post office anymore to mail letters and packages. You can get your postage on demand with stamps.com. I'm telling you, for about seven years now, we've been using stamps.com and they're like old faithful to us at this point. It's just so convenient being able to buy and print our own postage from our own desks 24-7 whenever we want. And you might think I'm just talking about your average sized envelope. No, it's for any letter any package, and you're using your own computer and printer, and then the mail carrier picks it up. You just click, print, mail, you're done. It couldn't be easier. Stamps.com has become so much a part of our lives, our just ordinary day-to-day, week-to-week lives, at risk, and the story studio, that <laughs> I'm surprised 
everyone isn't using it. It just seems like a no-brainer that that this would be the way that people do their mailing. The whole country. And right now, you can use Risk for this special offer. It includes up to $55 of free postage, the digital scale that you use to measure the weight of your letters and packages, and a four-week trial. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Jimmy Smith behind me now, and we're calling this week's episode Live from Chicago 6. This is our most recent trip to Chicago. Now, there were four stories told that night. We're going to have three here, and the fourth one we'll put on another episode. This was a really, really wonderful night, wonderful audience, and wonderful storytellers. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Joel Barrett. But before that, Lily B is back on the show. You can find her at Queen Lily B on all of the apps. She is the host and creator of the podcast, The Stoop. And she's told many wonderful stories for us on the show before. Here she is now. This is Lily B with a story we call Queen of the Tunnels. I have this dystopian fantasy where I am the queen of the tunnels. I don't know if you know, but Chicago has these underground tunnels. And the way this administration is going, we gonna be living in them. (laughs) And I see myself as the queen of these tunnels, picture like... Khaleesi and the warriors of Wakanda uh, and me in a chain link dress with my hair just like this probably earrings like this but are really weapons and and we're living in these tunnels eating like root vegetables uh, and there are like traps that we set up at every like sewer I got like an army like lieutenant and first lieutenant and you know like my army of like basically Dothraki men that all have to agree to be pegged uh, by the femdoms of and we ain't gonna let no privileged or person of privilege in unless they bring me the head of one of the 
53% of white women that voted for Trump. That's, that's how you get in. That's how you get into my world under the tunnels. I have this fantasy. It's like real. It's like a real fantasy for me. And so like two years ago, uh, my son, my wonderful, beautiful son, he was like 19, 20 at the time. We're like this, yo. Like my son and I are like best friends. I had him when I was 17. And so he and I basically grew up together. I raised him. He raised me in a way. That's my boy. And I had gone grocery shopping and I'm coming up the stairs with him and I'm like out of breath when I get up the stairs and, and he sighs and he looks at me and he says, uh, you know, you can't be fat and a smoker. <gasps> and I'm like, the fuck you say to me? <laughs> And he was like, uh, like he didn't even like change his like answer, like noticing that I was upset. He's like, you can't be fat and a smoker. And this was like my son saying this. This wasn't like some dude that tried to hit on me and I'm like, no, and he was like, you fat bitch. And then, or it wasn't like some dude that I would hit, that rejected me when I hit on him. So I couldn't be like, yes, queen, I don't give a fuck. Are you gonna love me the way I love? This is my son telling me that I need to live longer so that he could see me see him grow up, like his children. And so like, Man, it got me right here. And so I respond with like, what the fuck you want me to do then? Like, what the fuck I'm supposed to do about this? You know I'm fat because of you, right? Because I mean, I wouldn't even fucking be fat if it wasn't for your ass. Like, I mean, I'm like, I get very, what the fuck you want me to do about this? Quitting smoking and losing weight? And he was like, well, I would like you to lose weight and quit smoking, but if you can only do one, fine. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm losing weight. Because quitting smoking was like heroin. It was like quitting heroin. I'm like, oh, that's going to be too damn hard. So you go about, I'm about to lose weight. And I figured that I'd tell him that I would, and then he'd go back to champagne and go to college, and then I'd just forget about it and whatever. But this motherfucker got me a membership, so I had to go. And so like, so I start working out begrudgingly. I'm like, let me go to this fucking gym. And, and so I start going to the gym. And I go and I decide that I'm going to commit to going like 30 days in a row. And not like hardcore gymming. Like I'm gonna get on this treadmill and listen to like some podcasts and I'm gonna get on this and I'm gonna watch some TV. And not like, really get into it i'm just gonna say i did and then whatever maybe lose interest and he'll lose it whatever but then i i like it like i go every fucking day for 30 days and i am like training you guys i am like in the gym like i am learning shit about my body that i didn't even know 
I did not know. Like, I know where my fucking lats are. I know what a quad muscle is. I know what to do to work out a quad muscle. I got fucking muscles. Like, legitimately muscle. Like, when once the, the, the shift came, you guys, once I went up those stairs and was not out of breath. When I carried my groceries home, I didn't have to order an Uber four blocks. Like, I carried all these groceries home and, I, and, and up the fucking stairs, never stopped, never had to put them down. And then it was like life change, right? That's what happened. I, the, my psychology about my body changed. I realized that I had been putting on weight to protect myself from all these fucking people that had like hurt me and like made me feel like less. I realized why I had put on the reason that I had put on the weight was a dumbass reason to put on the weight because if I felt that I was going to be protected by my weight, bitch, what you think muscles gonna do? So I decided I'm gonna fucking make some muscles. And I did it. Like, bitch, I got muscles. Like, I got fucking muscles. And I'm so happy. I was like, I'm strong. I'm really strong. So I'm um, leaving the gym one day after one of these, like, two and a half hour workouts that I'm on two on twos yo like you know two days on two days off cardio in the middle and if I want to do some more cardio at the weekend like I got a routine I am getting it and I got my headphone in and I and I'm from the west side for y'all don't know the west side I'm, I'm like Humble Park that's where I'm from Humble Park born and raised and uh and I'm leaving the gym it's blast fitness it's like the ham no burger of gyms and um <laughs> But it's a gym, does it? That's right, Division Central Park. And I'm leaving the gym, and I hear, ma'am, like a little squeaky voice, ma'am, help me, help me. And I look over across the street, and I see a little boy. I call it a little boy, because he couldn't have been older than like 15, 16 being chased with a like he's like a little floppy like little bob cut whatever and he's running from this like little boy with no like like a shortcut skins and shirts the boy that's running from the boy without the shirt and i look over and the, the, there they he chasing him he the, the guy without the shirt is chasing the boy with the shirt and i'm just like and he's like ma'am help me and i'm wearing my my trusty chingona hat which is like, it says chingona, means badass in Spanish. And I immediately get on my phone, 911. I'm in my headset. I got my headset. And it's like, 911, what's your emergency? And I say, uh, I am on uh, Division in Central Park, west side of Chicago, brown as fuck, neighborhood. And uh, there are two boys that are about to, like, kill each other, it seems like. They're, like, f about to fight. And then he's like, uh, tell us your location. I'm on Division Central Park. Just I'm on Central Park, just north of Division by the Blast Fitness. Come through, come through. And he, uh, they're like, okay, we have, a, we have a car in the area. It's two minutes away. And I'm like, good. And I'm like, I'm going to stand here till they get here. I'm going to stand here till, they, till I see them get here. And I'm waiting, it's like one minute, and now like the kids are like, have been chasing each other around like the, like just part of the street and around the cars and gates and stuff. And then the boy throws down the bike, the boy, the aggressor, the boy without the shirt, throws down the bike, 
and picks up a bottle. And I'm like, this is like some like queen of the tunnels type shit, right? This is this is that kind of shit, right? Where because I'm like, I'm looking at this boy, and the last thing I want, like I picture he once he picked up that bottle, all I saw was a chalk outline. All I saw was like, damn, I'm gonna get home. I'm not. I can't walk away. I can't walk away because I would hate to get home and see the yellow tape on the screen of the TV and know that I walked away thinking like, okay, the police will get there because they said two minutes and we are now three and a half minutes into this call. And you know what? I'm a mama. Those could easily be, that could easily, because you do, you think that. That could easily be my son. That could easily be my brother. That could easily be my baby. I have to. I have to fucking do something. And so I do what is just not in my body to do, but I ha- I know I have to do. I go and I stand between them. And I put my arms out to make sure I flex this shit so they know. <laughs> so they know, look. Look. <laughs> And I tell them, uh, you don't have to do this. Y'all ain't gotta be fighting. I'm from here. This is my neighborhood. I'm from Homo Park. I have seen what happens. I've seen how this ends. You don't want to do this. And they just like, the the boy with the no shirt is all like, ma'am, I'm going to need you to get out the fucking way. I'm going to need you to get out the fucking way. I'm going to need you. Like, I'm going to need you. Like, and I, and I, and he he's cursing at me, but my son fucking cursed. So like it don't fucking bother me. I'm just what what I what I catch from that is he is calling me ma'am. Both of them have now called me ma'am, and that's what keeps me there. Like I'm a I'm a little offended. Like I'm a little like I ain't no fucking ma'am, but 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 that also shows me that somebody somewhere in their lives, grandma, aunt, mother, yes, they might not have been fucking present all the time, but somebody taught these little motherfuckers how to like address someone that's older. And that is enough for me to be like, this is why I'm gonna fucking stand here. And this is why I'm gonna put my fucking arms out and beg these little motherfuckers not to kill each other. Please don't fucking kill each other. Please don't do anything right now. And I'm pleading with the boy without the shirt. And we are now seven minutes into this fucking call, maybe eight. And I am like, where the fuck y'all at? 911, where the fuck are y'all at? Cause God know, you know what? Cause I, we, we couldn't be outside this fucking Lincoln Hall and that shit happened. There's no way I'd have waited seven fucking minutes outside of Lincoln, in Lincoln Park, not Wicker Park, not Lincoln Square. There's no way I would have waited seven and a half minutes in between no motherfuckers anywhere else. And so I am sitting there like, because this is Humble Park or west of Humble Park, y'all gonna have me sitting here waiting seven and a half fucking minutes so I'm cursing the person out on the phone. And then just as I am like cursing out the 911 operator, like where the fuck y'all at? The boy without the shirt gets on his phone and makes a phone call and he's just like, hey, yo, I'm on I'm on division, just north of Central Park. Like I told the cops, I said the same shit to the cops. And uh, I'm over here dealing with this motherfucker, I'm dealing with this motherfucker, and the little boy behind me, the, the more squeakier one, the more kind of like the floppy head guy I said, he was like, I'm not even in a gang, but I'm not even in a gang. And the little boy, the other little boy's like, I don't give a fuck if you in a gang or not. I'm, I'm gonna fuck you up. And I'm, and I'm sitting there with like, the nine, you hear this, right? You hear what's happening. 
And then the little boy is like, I, I, on the phone, I, click, you know, puts the fucking phone away. And I, I'm not even lying to y'all, 30, no more than 45 fucking seconds later, a car pulls up behind him, like a little heavy Chevy car pulls up right behind him. And I think two things, I think fuck don't let him have no fucking gun because we about to have two fucking outlines chalk outlines out here my heart sinks to my stomach and then the second thought i think is like i need to be on the phone where the fuck you on the phone with because that response time was motherfucking amazing was motherfucking amazing real talk 45 fucking seconds that's faster than the police but they just Lower the window and they're like, hey, yo, Betty up, Betty up. 5-0, 5-0. Meaning that cops were in the area and close. So the little boy gets on his bike and fucking rides off. Just rides off. Doesn't say anything to anybody. Just rides the fuck off. And I asked the little boy behind me, you cool, you cool? He's like, yeah, man, I just live right here. I visit my grandma. They think I'm in a game. I'm like, well, you cool, right? Go, go, go to your grandma's. And then seconds after the boy pulls off and the other little boy goes inside, this blue charger pulls up in front of me and says, uh, where'd they go? And inside are cops. Because I was expecting a blue and white police car. I was expecting a blue and white to pull up. And so when the charger pulled up, I was like, oh, uh, undercover. So the, the, they might have seen the un- undercover cop like parked or, or something. And then they pull off, because at this point, I'm annoyed. At this point, I'm like, y'all showed up a fucking day late, dollar short. Y'all, y'all, y'all I just did your fucking job. Um, motherfuckers, right? I'm so mad. And they drive, and, they, and then they drive off after I'm just like, you go fucking find them. I already did your fucking job. And then the other bystanders around me say, that charger was parked on Grand and Central Park the whole time. And to give you an idea of where that is, is I could see Grand and Central Park from where I was standing on Central Park. So if I could see Grand and motherfucking Central Park, Grand and Central Park could see me. And they saw me fucking standing there. They saw me fucking standing there between two boys putting my fucking life on the line Waiting for what? A body before they came and fucking helped? I was livid. I went home. I know I Facebook lived about it on the way home. Because that's me. If you don't know Lily B, that's me. Follow me. That's what I do. But it fucking sucked. And I thought, man... Well, I love this fantasy, right? Like, while I love this fantasy of this dystopian future that I'm going to be the queen of the tunnels and Because in this tunnels, I see myself like, I'm standing up to authority and I'm giving speeches and I'm carrying men on my back and I'm like, you know, pulling babies out of fires. Like, I see this shit. I see myself doing this. I'm re- I realize that, like, I've been doing this. I've been standing up to authority my whole fucking life. I've been standing up to authority. Most women of color have. 
And we, we, women, period, we've been carrying men on our backs for a fucking ever. And we've been pulling babies out of fires. Yes, all metaphorical, right? But we've been pulling babies out of fires. Even my own fucking baby. Because he did get me that membership. And he paid for it out of his own fucking... He didn't have to pay for no fucking membership. He went to college. He broke. Like, the fact that he did that for me. For me, his mama. His fucking hero. Meant that he already saw who I was going to be. This queen of the fucking tunnels one day. And you best believe... Because look at me. Remember this face. This your future queen of the tunnels, motherfucker. This your future queen of the tunnels. Ain't no lie. And my baby, that's my first lieutenant, yo. That's going to be my first fucking lieutenant. And so I saved two boys' lives that night. I know I did. And I'm going to keep doing that. I'm Lily motherfucking B your future queen of the tunnels. Thank you. in a galaxy far, far away. I was a conservative Baptist pastor living in northern Indiana with my wife and three kids. Now, when I say conservative, I know you're probably thinking, oh, you mean like Southern Baptist. No. We thought the Southern Baptists were too liberal. We were the God-fearing, sin-hating, hellfire, damnation, preaching, Bible-thumping, independent, fundamental Baptist. Now, if that doesn't mean anything to you, just think the softer side of the Westboro Baptist Church. (laughs) Typical outfit for me was a navy blue suit, a crisp white shirt, and a red tie. I always had a large King James Bible by my side. Uh, Typical uh, activities for us were what we did not do. We didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't dance, we didn't go to movies. In fact, the first movie I ever saw in a theater was Castaway with Tom Hanks. I was 34 years old. A typical week for me included sermon preparation, Bible study, prayer, writing Sunday school curriculum, directing the choir, performing weddings and funerals, counseling people in my office, and and just running general errands for the church around town that required that always included a stop by a public park or mall restroom where I found a quick anonymous sexual encounter with another gay man like myself. You see, I was godly, but I was gay. And in that world, the two can never, ever coexist. And I knew this 
all of my life because I sat in the pews and I watched pastors from the pulpit mock and imitate effeminate men and the crowd would roar in laughter. I heard pastors say, homosexuality is the unforgivable sin. Well, that gives you a lot of hope, doesn't it? And then I would hear them say things like, God said we should stone them, but let's ship them all off to an island somewhere and let them infect themselves with diseases and die. And the crowd would yell, Amen! So, needless to say, from a young age, I learned that nobody must ever know that I was gay. So I hid my secret. And let me tell you, hiding a secret is a lot of hard work. I once heard Maya Angelou say, there's no greater agony than bearing a story untold inside of you. I always knew I was gay. Well, no, I always knew I was attracted to men, but I never thought I was gay. I just thought I had this sin problem. My sin was that I was attracted to men, and so I needed to make it my goal to rid myself of that sin. So it started this long cycle of life, this cycle of sinning, feeling really bad about it, telling God it won't ever happen again, followed by sinning, feeling really bad about it, telling God it wouldn't happen again, and so on and so on. The cycle just continued over and over and over again for 30-some years. Now, during that time, I was still longing for the intimacy and validation of being with another man. But I couldn't, because that was a no-no. So I became what Kevin referred to earlier, a cruiser. Now, this is long before the days of the internet or sophisticated apps like Grindr. <laughs> a cruiser meant I went looking for a place to find other men who wanted the same thing as me. So oftentimes it was a public park, a mall restroom, a public restroom someplace. And uh, that's where I found my little quick fix, that little hookup, which always led to great regret. And I would pull my car over to the side of the road afterwards and be like, God, I'm so sorry. It won't ever happen again. Please change me. I don't want to be this way. Don't, don't, you know, just help me out here. And then I would go home and stand in front of the mirror in my bathroom and I would say, you are despicable. You're disgusting. I can't stand you. Because I thought if I could hate myself enough that I would change who I was. Well, around... Um, the early 2000s, the screeching, beeping sound of a dial-up modem brought the internet into the home. Thus, cruising happened from my living room. On one typical Wednesday afternoon, I was sitting in my basement office of the house across the street from the church that I had poured my sweat, blood, and tears into, and I had my large King James Bible next to me, a couple of reference books. I opened WordPerfect on my desktop computer, <laughs> and I began to prepare my Sunday's message, but every so often I would click to the window behind WordPerfect, which is where I was logged into gay.com in the local <laughs> chat room as Tall Ben 66. <laughs> there I would chat in hopes that I might find my next hookup. And it never took very long at all. There was always somebody ready to rumble. And on this particular day, I had arranged a rendezvous with a man about 10 miles away because it was a halfway point. I made up an excuse to leave the house and off I went to get off. I arrived in the Kmart parking lot. <laughs> Classy, I know. 
I saw his van in the empty parking lot, pulled up beside it. I was so relieved that he did actually look like the picture that he had sent me. Conservative-looking guy, nondescript dress, you know, somewhat attractive in his 40s. And so I climbed into his van. And what happened the moment I climbed into his van when I locked eyes with him... I can only describe it as that moment if you've ever been walking down a hall someplace and you turn a corner and you don't know that there's a mirror there and you're startled because you see yourself. I had that kind of feeling when I looked at him and I could tell that he felt something too, but we were there to hook up. So we took the van around to the back side of the Kmart, really secluded spot, and climbed into the back seats, and man, in a fit of passion, we were ripping clothes, fingers fumbling with buttons and buckles and zippers, and we were touching and groping and tasting, and it was skin on skin, and oh man, we had wild, passionate sex in just a few minutes. <laughs> It was that kind of really good, glorious sex that can only happen when there's risk involved. As we started finding our clothes that we had thrown around the van, I began a little bit of small talk with him. Now, I need to tell you one of the rules of cruising. There's this unspoken code. The code is this. We meet. We get off. We share no personal information, and we avoid most conversation. But most importantly, if we ever see each other anywhere else, we have never met, and this never happened. Everybody agrees to it, whether they realize it or not. But on this day, something inside me decided that it was time for me to break the code. So as I was putting my clothes back on, I looked at him, and I said, I'm married to a woman. And he said, yeah, I am too. And then that opened this little door to what felt like a ping pong game in slow motion, where we began to share a little bit more and a little bit more of our personal lives. I said, I have three kids. He said, yeah, I have two. I said, you know, I really hate being like this. I've tried so hard to stop, and I don't know what to do about it. And if anybody ever found out, I would lose everything. He's like, yeah, me too. And then he looked at me, and he said, I'll tell you what I do if you tell me what you do. And I said, I'm in communications. <laughs> I said, but not the way you think. I said, I'm a Baptist minister. And his eyes got really wide, and he looked at me, and he said, I'm a Methodist minister. <laughs> and we both knew in that moment this was not who we wanted to be. So he said, let's help each other get help. So I did what any good godly minister would do. I called Exodus International. Exodus International, for those of you who don't know about it, was the world's largest ex-gay ministry at that time. And I started seeing a Christian counselor who is going to help me become ex-gay. Now, maybe you don't know what ex-gay therapy is. Sometimes it's called conversion therapy. Sometimes it's called reparative therapy. Because it's not based in any kind of science whatsoever, it basically is whatever that counselor wants to do and say to help you become straight again. Or for the first time, for my sake. And... <laughs> So I would sit in the counselor's office and pour my heart out, telling my life story, telling all of my sexual secrets that I never thought I would tell anybody. 
And he would listen, and then he would start praying, because mine was more the pray, the gay away type. He would start praying, and he would ask God to bind the Satan's spirits of confusion. And then he would say, Joel, the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you. What is the Holy Spirit trying to say? And I'd be like, I don't know. I never heard the Holy Spirit say anything. (laughs) Then I started in ex-gay therapy with a group and so every so often I meet with a group of men and we get together and we would cry together and moan and talk about how successful or unsuccessful our week had been which was gauged by how often we had masturbated or looked at porn or whether we had hooked up with somebody and I spent nearly three years in ex-gay therapy doing all of this and I began to get discouraged needless to say and so I contacted the director of the state of Indiana at that time of Exodus International. And I said to him, look, I need to know that it's going to get better than this because I'm not making any progress. And if this is as good as it's going to get, I, I don't want it. And he emailed me back. And it was on a day when I was getting ready to go pick up my kids from my soon-to-be ex-wife's house where we were no longer living together. So I printed off the email, I stuck it in my pocket, and I was running late, and I got, drove all the way to my uh, ex-wife's house. And I got there, and nobody was home, and I was waiting for the kids to get off the bus. So I sat down in the yard, and I was like, oh, that email, I want to read that email. And I pulled it out to see what he had said. Because I was really thinking, there ought to be this database, this huge database of success stories. And I said, look, I, I just need somebody like myself. Somebody that will say, hey, Joel, just hang in there. It's going to be so much better. Just, just, just hang in there. And I opened this email, and I basically said something like this. Joel, I'm so sorry that you don't feel like you're making the progress that you want to have. You just have to be patient. Everybody's journey is different. And he said, and I'm sorry, but I can't connect you to any men like yourself. He said, because they all fall in one of two categories. One, this was a part of their life that they're very ashamed of. And they've worked through it, closed that chapter, don't talk about it. Number two, this is a part of their life, they've worked through it, moved on, but they're afraid that if they were to talk to somebody like you, they just fall right back into it. And I thought to myself, so you're telling me I get to choose between shame or fear? So on that day, I literally stood up. I had that email. I wadded it up. I threw it down, and I said, then I'm done. And in that moment, I came out to myself. But then I turned and looked up, and I came out to God. And I said, God... If you are who I've been taught you are all of my life, then you know me better than I know myself. You love me more than anyone. You want to speak to me, lead me, guide me. You want me to do the right thing. So therefore, you also know that I've spent the last 30 damn years trying to fix myself the way I was told you wanted it. And you also know it ain't a working. I said, so God, on this day, I'm just announcing to you that from here on out, I am living as a gay man. (laughs) 
I didn't even know what that meant. That was a little over 15 years ago. Today I'm happily married to my husband of nearly 13 years who's in the audience. Together we finished raising my three children and have brought me now two granddaughters. And I live a really good life. But if you'll humor me for just a moment, I want to put on the Pastor Barrett hat for a second and tell you a little Bible story. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a prophet who really wanted to hear God speak. And he thought God would come to him in this earthquake, or this fire, or this windstorm. But it wasn't until God took him outside to this very quiet spot that he realized that God also speaks in silence. And I now know that on the day that I said, God, you let me know if you have a problem with this because I'll be listening, I realized that God did indeed speak to me. He spoke to me when he said nothing at all. Thank you. This is Risk. This is Trash Can Sinatra's Behind Me Now, and we just heard from Joel Barrett. Joel is an LGBTQ writer and speaker. You can find him at joelspeaksout.com. And before that, a little interstitial prepared by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. I want to talk to you now about handy.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting in a clean apartment right now, which is very, very (laughs) unusual for me. Handy, well, let me tell you who they are. Handy is the easy and convenient way to book home cleanings. You can compare profiles and you can read real customer reviews and then book someone to come on your schedule right from the app or their website. All of Handy services are backed by the Handy Happiness Guarantee and all the pros on Handy are background checked and you can learn a lot more at handy.com. Plus with Handy's clear upfront pricing, what you see 
is what you pay, and you can pay securely on the app. No need to worry about cash or checks. My apartment looks and smells <laughs> really, really nice right now. It is such a weight off my shoulders. My handy person who comes to clean is so goddamn sweet. When she first came to clean the place, I was playing uh, jazz. I was playing some records on the turntable, and she said, you can turn that up. That reminds me of my daddy. <laughs> and so we instantly, you know, had a real rapport with one another, which was important to me because, you know, for one thing, I knew that she'd eventually find all the sex toys. <laughs> There's a lot of this apartment is sex toys. And so, you know, it's important to have some rapport with the person who's cleaning your place. And, and she has been fantastic. And you know what? Another thing is that my schedule changes so much that I've had to cancel and then, you know, postpone, you know, re reschedule things before on the app. And, and it's very easy to do. So to get your first three hour cleaning for $39 when you sign up for a plan, visit handy.com slash risk and use the promo code risk during the checkout. That's handy.com slash risk. Use the promo code RISK during the checkout for your first three-hour cleaning for $39 once you sign up for a plan. Recurring charge terms and conditions apply. Visit handy.com to learn more. Also, do you find yourself distracted? forgetting things, making mistakes at work. Well, a quality night's sleep makes all the difference, and the right mattress is the difference between resting and just laying down. The right mattress is the Lisa mattress. That's L-E-E-S-A. The Lisa mattress is the product of more than 30 years of experience in mattress engineering and hundreds of hours of testing, comprised of three foam layers that provide cooling pressure relief, body contouring, and support the Lisa mattress is the best mattress at the best value. Over 300,000 happy Lisa sleepers agree the Lisa mattress gives them the rest they need. Order your Lisa mattress online at lisa.com slash risk and try it risk-free for 100 nights. It ships direct to your door in a convenient box with free shipping and free returns. And you can buy a Lisa for a fraction of the cost of traditional mattresses. Find the right mattress for you at lisa.com slash risk. Don't miss Lisa's limited time Labor Day sale where you can get up to $235 off your Lisa mattress when you go to lisa.com slash risk. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash risk. Our final storyteller on today's episode, he has one of those stories that people love so much in the Risk book. In fact, there was even an article in the Chicago Sun-Times about his story being featured in the Risk book. The article, the, the headline is, he went blind, found his calling, now shares his story with Risk. Uh, J.C. Cassis, who was the producer of the show, and I got to spend some quality time with Chad and his wife Jennifer and their dog Perry while we were in Chicago this weekend. It's just quite something to have had him back on the show. And, and this is kind of a little bit of a, uh, a sequel to the original story that he shared. Here now is Chad Duncan with a story we call Perry. 
Perry is an English Labrador. And they say that he's got this face like a boy. He's, he's got these brown, soulful eyes with these mischievous eyebrows that kind of say, I know something you don't know. Well, Jennifer, my wife, would say that Perry, she would describe him as the pear bear. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, absolutely. He is, he is the pear bear. I mean, he, is, he runs like a bear. I would describe Perry as Sigmund Freud's innate drive. He is the id. He is the, you got it, the pleasure principle. He, whatever it is, he is so excited to do it. So when he finishes taking a dump, he kicks and snorts and celebrates like he's... He's solved world peace. I mean, this is, this is the dog I have, okay? Now, to really just typify exactly what the way Perry is, we were over at a friend's house. She's blind, and she is getting him a reward out of her vegetable cabinet. And as she goes to get him a carrot, he goes running off. I know that dog. And I'm like, Jennifer, he's got something. She goes, no, he doesn't. Sure enough, he's running around. She starts laughing because he's got a Fuji apple wedged in his mouth <laughs> like a pig waiting for a luau. <laughs> Truly bit off more than he could chew. He couldn't do anything. <laughs> but that's Perry. But you take him and you put a leash on him and then he kind of treats me like you would treat a substitute, you know? You're going to see what you can try to get away with. <laughs> she knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but you take his harness and you put it over his head and you strap it across his chest. And he transforms into a guide dog. Now, when I first got him five years ago, we're walking in, and he's tugging like one of those sled dogs. And, and the harness handle is just so tight. I mean, I can barely keep up with him because he's so fierce. He's so intense. And I am just gasping because I can't keep up with him. Part of me is saying, I can't do this, but i got to keep going. Well, I'm walking with him, and he wants to go for walks. I, I never walked around my neighborhood. And here we are going around the neighborhood for 30 minutes, and I am gasping gasping and heaving. I'm a mess. I'm pouring with sweat by the end. I take off his harness, take off his leash. And once he catches his breath, he's pouncing on me. He's barking at me. This guy wants to go out again. I've got nothing, but I've got Jennifer at work, but what do I have to do? I'm unemployed. I'm blind. So I put the harness back on him, I put the leash on him, and we go for another 30 minutes. And we keep doing that day after day after day. And what happens is eventually that 30 minutes becomes 45. And after a while, that 45 means we're doing a full hour. Now, that was 160 pounds ago. So we, we are, this is the kind of dog, that the tenacity that he's got for us to go through and explore everywhere. So what, we're, we're walking two years ago. Now, I've gotten to that point that I can keep up with him, and the harness handle is slightly tight because he's still pulling a little bit. But at this point, 
I'm walking full stride with him. I'm, I want you to think, full stride you walking. I'm six foot one. I'm walking full stride, and this dog, I can feel through the harness, is popping his head back at me. He's looking up at me. I know what that means. This dog has taken me everywhere. I know what he's wanting. He wants to go faster. <laughs> Y'all, I'm blind, okay? Let's just, I'm blind, and I didn't run when I could see. This dog wants me. <laughs> so you're laughing because I'm laughing as he's, he's doing this and I'm going, survival instinct, logic. Okay, I've got to leave those behind. I take a huge deep breath, hold it, and I brace for the impact and I start running. I'm imagining myself bouncing off the cars or the mailboxes or something. <laughs> but it doesn't happen. We keep running. We are running and that harness handle is loose. It starts vibrating because we are in synchronicity. We are, it starts to vibrate up my arm, into my shoulder, into my spine, and ladies and gentlemen, in my soul. We are in harmony. I want you to think about that. Another life force. I can't see and I've got full trust in him. I mean, that, oh, absolutely. I, it, Believe me, so as we get to the end of the route, you know, he slows down because there's a curve and we get to the house and I, I take off his harness and his leash and he goes tearing off to tell Jennifer and Guinness, our other Labrador, exactly what he's done. <laughs> and he's just barking at her. And <laughs> For the last two years, y'all, I mean, imagine your neighbors and all of a sudden, blind feller's running again. <laughs> so that, that's, that's where my weight went. It went for running with him. So April 14th of this year, it was blistering cold in Texas. 43 degrees for <laughs> to y'all to y'all that's that, that that's tanks and you know tank tops and, and flip-flops okay in texas that's cold i want to put on more more layers of clothing if i'm going to go out in 43 degree temperature but but that day that afternoon i really just i wanted to take off some layers and just get underneath the comforter and, and get warm. And Jennifer, Jennifer was, was giving Perry some carrots. So as I'm starting to relax, I hear her say, there's some throw up in here. And she called my name next. And it's one of those, when, when you hear that voice come out of your partner, I throw off the sheets and, and I go running. And the next words I hear is seizure. I go down on the ground on all fours. I'm hanging on to his head as his body is flailing. Our other dog, Guinness, is barking. And I'm like, Jennifer, put Guinness behind the bedroom. And I'm hanging on to his body. 
and, and, and his, whole, his whole everything is just scraping against my chest. His, his nails are just digging in. And his back legs, Jennifer comes back and says, he's spewing diarrhea. And, and, and I'm hanging on to his, his head, and it's foaming up. I can feel it go across my arm. And, and I, it's just going on forever. And I, and, and I don't know what to do, but I'm, I'm relaxing. I'm, I'm saying, it's okay. You're all right. It's okay. You're all right. I'm relaxing my muscles because if I can exude calm, if I can communicate calm to him, maybe that can heal him and bring him out of it. And all of a sudden, his, his back legs are kicking, and, and, and they gain, gain a little bit of traction. And, and next thing you know, he's sitting up. But, but something tells me to grab his collar, and I grab his collar. And he begins to growl. And he's growling everywhere, but nowhere. And Jennifer says, he's blind. Now, I'm, I'm in... I'm in the moment of doing, it's okay, you're all right, it's okay, you're all right. So I'm, I can't believe I was lucky enough to hear her say that. And I said, what do you mean? It's okay, you're all right. And she says, his eyes are glazed over. And so I'm thinking, okay, drool, drool. Okay, go, go get a towel and, and wet, wet a towel. And so he's growling, and he's growling towards her. And the only thing I know to do is bring him closer. Because if my words aren't penetrating him... I want him to feel me. I want him to know I'm there for him. So I pull him close into me, and I keep telling him, it's okay, you're all right. Jennifer comes up with a towel, starts to wipe his face, and those, those growls become groans. And those groans become moans. And next thing you know, he tucks his head underneath my arm, which he's done for five years, and his tail starts to wag. And it's that, it's that moment I'm like, he's back. And, and, and Jennifer begins to retch because the smell of diarrhea is permeating the air, covering me, covering our dog. I say, go over there. And I take Perry to the, the, the bathroom, and he and I take a, a shower together, and we get clean, and, and we fly to the animal ER. Now, he was able to come perfectly walk and see and get, get into the car, and we're, we're in the back seat, and I'm touching his back. And I'm a talker, and, and Jennifer and I talk, but the car is silent. And the first instinct I have in my head is to say, no social media. And I'm touching his back, and I'm feeling those muscles that were in chaos and fury. And I, I realize in that moment, in that stillness, he's had a seizure. He's had a seizure. And I start hearing the voice in my head going, the guide dog school, seizure, guide dog school. The guide dog school took away that my friend's dog when he, she had a Caesar. Are they going to take away Perry? Is Perry going to be okay? And, and, and the, my, all my thoughts are so loud in me, and they are broken. The moment that doctor walks through the door, he touches Perry for a moment and says, this is a brain tumor. I've seen this a hundred times. This is a brain tumor. And I'm like, can we do some blood tests <laughs> I mean the, he talked he touched him for a second and he's like it won't show up in a blood test okay well I, I'm, I'm willing to pay for that why don't you do the test 
he kind of almost leaves in a, in a rush. Like I've given him the wrong answer. My dog, wrong answer. Uh-uh, no, go take his blood. So when he comes back, he says, the blood's clean. Now, I want you to understand the likelihood of him having another seizure would happen within the next 24 hours from the time he's had that seizure. You've got to leave him here. If he seizes again, there could be brain damage. And those words echoed in my head and I mean, after everything that's happened. The seizure, the diarrhea, everything. I mean, my head is just going, and the next thing, words I hear out of his mouth, because I, I say to him, leaving him here is not an option. And he goes, okay, he could have brain damage. I'm sending you home with a suppository of Valium. Now, brain damage, everything's going on. All of these things have happened to me, and at that point, I'm thinking, is that suppository for him or me? <laughs> If he seizes again, I might shove that in my <laughs> So we get home, and Jennifer and I are going to take shifts. She takes the first shift. I get sleep. Don't know how that happens, but I wake up, and, and, and she gets into bed, and he, he's a mama's boy. He's the pear bear, and he lays on her, and I, I can't really watch him, y'all, so... I would just go in and I would touch him. And I'm feeling this big, massive head of his. That, that body, the brain, he's kept me safe for five years. We've navigated huge intersections. I have a tough job and I just lean right into him and I smell that smell that Labrador's paws make. He smell like Fritos. They do. I'm in that moment. I'm smelling. And I'm, I'm, I'm going, please, please, Perry, don't leave me. I feel broken. And he and I have done all these things together. And, and we wake up in the morning and he goes underneath my arm, but much softer. I imagine his muscles had been tense from everything. And, and that day, he kind of walked around with Guinness, did everything. And that afternoon, Jennifer, Perry, Guinness, and I are laying in the bed. And Jennifer says, the 24 hours has passed. And I reached, I reached down, and I start tickling Perry. And he he kicks his head back, and he starts to groan and moan and kick and purr, little. He's a farter, okay? I'm like, he's back. He's back. So I take him to, we take him to the neurologist, okay? An animal neurologist, and she is the antithesis of this other guy. She walks in the room, and she's asking us questions. And she goes, does he have to be on a leash? I'm like, no, it's your office. She takes him off and he goes running around and he's just being the little id that he is and he's going around and she said, I don't think this is a brain tumor. I, I just not seeing it. And all of her questions, I mean, he wasn't doing anything that would indicate a tumor. And she said, the only way we're going to know is if we do an MRI. Okay, now there is a chance that 
when they put him under, he may not come back out. But he's healthy, and, and that's the only way we're going to see. And it's expensive. And I'm thinking, expensive? I, she says, I, I will call that night with the results. And I'm thinking, she's going to call? Wow. So we get the MRI. He comes out of the anesthesia, and I can't tell you how what a relief that is. And I'm like, and so that night she calls, and she says, I haven't heard from the radiologist. I went through slide by slide. You've got a healthy brain, and that animal head of his, and you get out there, and you live life. So we have we have we've gone out we've run we have loved and he has been an amazing joy i mean we're here okay we got into town two days ago and so we get here super early and we get into an airbnb and we get into it oh so it's an old style chicago house so it's got those wooden stairs up like you guys like i'm telling you guys what 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 a, what a chicago house is like but for me i don't know what they're like so i'm walking up the wooden stairs and as we're on the first floor i can hear every tiny step so i can hear perry everywhere <laughs> So we put, we put down our luggage, and what do we do? What do Texans do as soon as you get to Chicago? Pizza. So <laughs> deep dish pizza, and it was the real stuff, okay? It wasn't, there was not, oh, it was amazing, okay? We, we went to Barnes & Noble, looked at the wrist book, and I'm like, ew. <sighs> I'm going to be at a bookstore tomorrow night. So we go back to the house, and I'm thinking, okay, we've been up since 2.30. Let, I, well, we got to get from Texas up here. So we, we, we're up. At, you know, Jennifer's like, I'm going to take a nap, and I'm thinking, next thing is on the list is a Chicago dog. Okay, so I'm kind of looking at those things, and I'm kind of thinking about what I'm going to say up here. <laughs> and, and I hear this rhythmic sound and, and this vibration. What the hell is that? Neighbors? What is, what, what is that noise? So I get up and I go into to the bedroom where Jennifer and Perry are. <laughs> Perry's having a seizure. <laughs> and I get down and, and I'm trying to wake Jennifer up and I'm trying to do it calmly. How do you calmly wake somebody up as you're hanging on to your dog and it's flailing? And I'm like, get the suppository, get the suppository. And she's like, what, what seizure? And, and, and so she's, she's getting it. And all of a sudden, as she is about to, to give it to him, he sits up, which I would too. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> but he sits up and he's just breathing hard, just out of his nose. His mouth is shut. <sighs> And I can feel the foam coming down his his face, and I say, Jennifer, go go get it, go get a wet towel. She goes and gets a wet towel, and she starts to wipe it down. But the foam keeps coming, and he's breathing hard. And I said, go go get another towel and wet it. And she she wipes down his face as she as she leaves to go get the other one. He starts to growl. I go right back into that mode and I pull him into me. And Jennifer comes back with a towel and wipes, wipes it down. And those growls become groans again. And he's back and the three of us take a shower together. <laughs> and, but when we get back out of the shower, Jennifer and I just start boohooing crying.
that curtain of denial has been pulled back, ripped down, and set on fire. We take him to the vet the very next day, and they put him on medication, blood tests are clear. But it is, it's that realization. Time is finite. I had been holding my breath for the last four months, bracing for the impact that I knew would come, but you can never be prepared for that. People will say, if I could just have one more day, if I could have that one more interaction, I would be okay. I've had four months with him. We have celebrated, we have lived life to its fullest, we have, we have danced, we have had everything. My cup is full. I am here on a wrist stage. I am telling you the legend of Perry. Perry has guided me through all of these obstacles of going blind, of not feeling broken anymore. He ha he's brought me so much confidence and taught me so many things about life, and he's a dog. And now, it's Jennifer and I's turn. Jennifer and I will guide him through his journey. Love fiercely. Thank you. all for this week's episode folks this is t-bird in the breaks behind me now and we just heard from chad duncan who you can find at chadduncan.com i'll tell you that was quite an experience it was the night before uh, jc and i were supposed to fly to 
to Chicago. Chad was already there in Chicago, but he called me the night before, shaken, in tears, talking about how Perry had just had another seizure right there in Chicago, and he just wasn't sure if he could do the book reading and the show. They thought maybe they might have to go back to Texas, get him into a animal hospital, you know, whatever. It was just so inspiring to see how Chad and his wife Jennifer and Perry, how they made it through that weekend. Uh, I'll never forget it. Don't forget that the Risk book is ready to be bought by you. I could pretend that I'm not really, really sad to have learned that it's really only 4% of you that have bought it so far, but I'm kind of sad about that. I can honestly say that if you do buy the book, I'm sure you will not be disappointed. Dan Kennedy The host of The Moth, we have a quote from him in the beginning of the book. He says, electric, daring, bold, ribald, terrifying. And that's just the first five stories. So go to Amazon and get it. Or go to theriskbook.com. Or text the word risk to the number 900-900. All that takes you to, you know, wherever books are sold, where you can buy the Risk book. Buy the book already, please. Here is where Risk is appearing live next on September 6th. We're in Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall. On September 7th, we're in Seattle, Washington at the Vera Project. On September 8th, we're in Vancouver at the Biltmore Cabaret. On September 15th, we're at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles. On September 20th, we are at NYU Bookstore. That's a book reading and book signing. September 20th in New York. On October 4th, we are in Denver at the Bluebird Theater. And if you want to learn about storytelling, we have a school. It's thestorystudio.org. All kinds of ways to learn about storytelling. One-on-one training over Skype, in-person sessions uh, in groups in New York, Los Angeles, and Minneapolis. We have video courses that you can download and take in your own time. We do corporate training for companies like Pfizer and Google and Citibank. That is all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, Today's the day. Take a risk. Let's live, let's live, let's live with love. Let's live with love. Live with love. Let's live with love. Let's live with love. Let's live with love. Living ain't living at all. Let's live with love. Review the Risk book on Amazon. Review the Risk book on Amazon. Review the Risk book on Amazon.